Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Crunch Time. Melstrom gave it a picket step for goal. Coming out, 40 out, through. Picks up where he left off last week, picket. Jake Lever, three career goals, none this year. Thumps the footy at the big sticks. It's a good-looking shape, and it got there. <laughs> He's most surprised indeed. Eyes lit up. Cozzy Pickett in rare goal-kicking oh. form. He's bending it, bending it, bending it. That is absolutely superb. Oh, Gardner got a bit lost, made a spoil rather than Mark. He's going to give Pickett his form. One way, then the other, and he swings it through for another. Melbourne's percentage has grown through the night to 130.5. Melbourne do a real number on the Lions at the Gabba. They book their place in the top four. They make their claim for a home qualifying final and they tune their game up for their premiership defence in September. I'm just so proud of our playing group and our club in general just to be able to put ourselves and focus on what we could control tonight. Um, and come out and start the way we started with the intensity um, in another big game. It was just brilliant the way the players went about it. And uh, as I said, I'm very proud of our footy club. For the second time this season, Melbourne feasts on the Brisbane Lions with a profound announcement of intent in the Premiership defence. But there's a sour postscript centred around Lions captain Dane Zorko. We'll have the latest from the Demons. Alistair Clarkson is heading to North Melbourne. Yes. Or can I say, well done, Sonia Hood. Uh, this is a massive day for the North Melbourne Football Club. Welcome home, Alistair. Essendon will be all the talk and it'll be all the fallout, but this is a great day for North Melbourne. A great announcement for the Kangaroos. It's a credit to Sonia Hood and the team and the, the way they've obviously gone about getting him. The moments in your life where you really needed some support, this club gave it to me. And perhaps the, the shoe is on the other foot right now where this club needs some support and some help. Uh, and that was pivotal in us making a decision to come back and uh, help the club and help get itself back on track again. A transformational moment for North Melbourne as Alastair Clarkson returns to Arden Streets as senior coach. The president has proven herself a force to be reckoned with. And Dr Sonia Hood is our headline guest. Uh, I copped a bit of criticism probably last year for, for holding out a contract um, about direction of the club. And to be sitting here um, in a bit of mess 12 months later is a bit disappointing. Yes, this has been ugly and the fallout for Ben has been terrible and I apologise for that. But my job is to make sure this footy club is the best footy club it can be and we have the absolute best people it can be. So to ignore going to see Alistair Clarkson, to me, would have been derelict in my duties. I'm the coach of this footy club and I made a commitment to serve the Essendon Footy Club, the members, supporters and my players and I'm going to continue to do that. What do you expect on Sunday? I don't know. I don't have any expectations. That is an understatement. The club is shambolic and frankly, Essendon fans 
should be appalled at how this has played out. By the time the ball is bounced in 2023, this will be a very different looking Essendon Football Club. Essendon's humiliation was broad and complete. The acrimony within the club is widespread and there's still a game to be played tonight. It's anyone's guess what that looks like inside and outside the fence. This is the round 23 edition of Crunch Time. A momentous day in footy yesterday provides so much to discuss across the next couple of hours. And then there's one of the most compelling final rounds we've ever seen. It was anticlimactic from a point of view last night. But to watch the full power of the Demons as they get themselves ready, that would have rippled right across the football community. Jared Waitley with you as we launch into crunch time. Sonia Hood's about to join us. Leon Cameron, welcome. Jared, how are you? What did you think of the Demons? Oh, look, awesome. The missing piece, their efficiency inside 50 was absolutely first class. Um, their defence, clearly everyone talks about that. That's intact. Um, their contest method, again, everyone can see how good they are. But I, I think it's just not the numbers on the contest method. It's just the efficiency and winning crucial balls that stand them apart. And just their composure. Their composure in big games and uh, when they put their foot down, it is very, very scary. And what we've seen last night is going to be very, very hard to topple in the next four or five weeks. Dermot Burton, hello. Good morning. What did you think of Brisbane? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me of Melbourne. That would have been easier. Um, they're miles off. They're sitting, what are they, fifth in the – sitting fourth currently inside the eight. Every other team sitting in the eight would have knocked them off last night and those sitting just outside would have knocked them off. So they continue on this way. They're not going to play more than four quarters of football, but we'll drill down into that the way that they lacked in every department last night. And Sam Edmund, hello to you. Good morning, Jared. The sour postscript last night centres on Dane Zorko and what was said to Harrison Petty. Here was Stephen May with us immediately after the siren on AFL Nation. You know, if you knew Pets, he's a tough, you know, country boy and um, nothing really can really bother him. He's, you know, I had a chat to him at the end. I said, mate, whatever he said, it was just sort of, you've obviously crossed the line and he was pretty remorseful. He goes, mate, I didn't say that. So I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding. There's a line that you, you don't really cross on field in terms of, you know, before one of my teammates to be upset, um, obviously, you know, pinch the nerve. Give us the short version of where we are at 11 o'clock the next morning. Yeah, so Dane Zorko's comments to Harrison Petty, they were cruel, Jared, from the Lions captain. They sent it in on the health of a family member. Now, that left the Demons defender in tears at three-quarter time. He was consoled by coaches and teammates, and he did have to gather himself in the rooms for a period of time before returning to the game. So this incident, Jared, is with the AFL this morning, but the clubs are also working with each other. Now, Brisbane have been proactive in how they've handled it. Zorko looked to have apologised to Petty on field after the final siren it's unknown whether the AFL will come over the top at this stage the league is still in the process of gathering all the facts but it is moving quite quickly so we might have a resolution to this in the next few hours Alan Richardson's going to join us as our show goes on so a lot to unpack from last night which we will do but monumental day for North Melbourne yesterday and the president to great acclaim across the football world ensnaring the signature of Alastair Clarkson so it is to Sonia Hood that we start crunch time today Sonia congratulations and welcome thanks guys great to be here what is your overriding emotion the day after um probably relief to be perfectly honest <laughs> 
it's not nice to have the tension uh, lifted a bit. It's been a, a, a pretty uh, tough couple of weeks, I think. You won't put Alistair on the back of the Mazda BT40 <laughs> today and drive him around the boundary for the faithful, will you? Uh, look, I, I did say to him, yeah, I invited him to come watch the game with me today and um, and he thought that he might get mobbed. And I said, well, I think I'm going to get mobbed. So, you know, we're either in this together or we're not. But it turns out that at the moment we're not. So, yeah, he's going to watch it from the farm and I'm going to watch it from the ground. What, are you able to detect the mood of your North Melbourne constituency? Uh, I, I'm getting a lot of joy. So yep. if, that's the, uh, if that's the mood you're asking me to detect, that's the, that's the one I'm, I'm certainly feeling. And what's that worth to North Melbourne right now, do you think? Uh, it, it's the essence of everything, isn't it? People often say football is about wins and losses, but I think actually football is about hope. And um, the narrative that gets written, people... I'm not not that it's a media thing. I think generally we like crisis narratives, don't we? And we like um, disarray narratives, and uh, and the hope narrative is just a wonderful counter to all of that, and and really underpins my view of where our club's at. So um, it's it's a it's wonderful to see that manifest for the supporters and for the members. And uh, we've done it pretty tough this year. They've all done it pretty tough this year. They've stuck by us in record numbers, and to be able to deliver this at the end of the season is, is just overwhelming. I think. You were complete in the mission that you launched, Sonia, and absolutely justified as I think your language publicly was quite brilliant and garnered a real sense of confidence. How how personal has this been for you? To And you, I remember you told us as soon as you, you came to the job is how far your heritage with North Melbourne goes back. How personal does it feel for you to be able to bring Alastair Clarkson to the footy club that you love? Um. I think the first thing that I should say, and and this is important to say, is that this was a whole club effort. So I spearheaded it. I was the voice of it. But we made a decision as a as a board and as a broader executive team um, where we were headed and what we wanted. And we wanted Alistair and, uh, and we worked out how we were going to go about that. And we were completely united in that as a process. So while I might have done the conversations, everybody else was doing the, you know, the stuff in the background that, that made our offer credible, um, that helped him to understand what our club was about um, and so that that whole of club piece I think was incredibly important for me personally I think you start with your value set and my value set is um, uh, it's blue and white I believe blue and white people say that is a trite comment that's that's me and and so it's personal but it's it reflects who I am and uh, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud to have worked with the club on this we're starting to get the timeline publicly of what you did privately. How how quickly did you feel like you had his full attention and interest? Um, that the, the first time we met is the first time I'd ever spent any time with Alistair, and uh, and I had his, I had his full attention and he had mine within the first five minutes of sitting down with one another. So I reckon then. Mm. And then. I guess there's the idea of landing him, and then once you meet him, did you have that feeling of, oh, I've now that we've had that conversation, I really want him. Yeah, I did, and actually, more than that, I knew it was a great fit, and so, and I, I've said this a couple of times, and I'm not sure that it makes sense, but I also therefore knew that if he chose to go somewhere else, he wasn't going to be a great fit because the, you know, the, to me, the value alignment and the the purpose alignment was so strong. Um, and what he brings and what we need and what 
we offer and what he wants. There's such a terrific alignment between those things that I just felt that it, that it was going to work. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I won't lie, I, I desperately wanted it to happen. I was like that kid before Christmas who thinks that big parcel under the tree is theirs, but they're not 100% sure. That was me. When he arrived at the front door on Thursday night, did you already know the answer was yes, or did he arrive and you're going, oh, I'm about to find out here? Um, as I, I've watched footy for long enough to know that the final siren is the final siren, and up until then, anything else you feel is just um, optimism. So uh, uh, seeing him through that door and the handshake and the words that we exchanged were, were, were magic. Yeah. Leon Cameron's with you, Sonia. G'day, Sonia. How are you? Hi, Leon. Very well, well done. Thanks. How are you? Firstly, Thank well you. done. Fantastic. Um, just when the Essendon news, I'm just interested in the mindset of when the Essendon news hit that um, they were going to jump in and investigate whether Alistair Clarkson could come to their football club, how did you go about controlling and reinforcing that to your board when that news hit, I think it was on the Monday, knowing that clearly you'd done three or four really good weeks of work negotiating with Alistair to come to your football club. How did you go just controlling that narrative with the board? Uh, we had a really good um, open dialogue with James Henderson through that process. So I knew what was going on through James rather than through the media. That was very helpful. Uh, the board, I spoke, to, I spoke to the board, all the board members individually just about every day this week. We had a scheduled board meeting on Wednesday night and we talked about it there. And um, we just reaffirmed our position really. And we knew that um, uh, the way, however things played out, we we could formulate a response and if things didn't go our way, we would move on and um, and look for another coach. But I think it was that reassuring ourselves that we'd done what we needed to do. We were comfortable in our approach and um, Essendon's a big club and a proud club and um, there was always a possibility, I suppose, that, that someone else was coming. Um, I probably hadn't seen that one coming, but other people had told me they, they had seen it. So, you know, that, that, that might be just my misread of the situation. But... Um, but we just had to stand firm on what we want. I think it's it's easy in this game, isn't it, to to have your responses dictated to you by everybody else. Um, and so being centred within the club and what, what we were after and what we were looking for became paramount this week. Sonia, uh, Dermot Brereton here. Congratulations. Well done. Can I ask you, the first comments, and I imagine he'd be very favourable, the first comments that... Uh, Patch Adams, Lee Adams uh, made to you when you gave him the news that uh, Alistair was to be the coach for 2023. Uh, he was absolutely delighted. And I rang Patch awesome. um, on Friday morning before I spoke to anybody else uh, so that he would know. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do was to thank him, and I'll and I'll be doing that a lot over the next couple of days, but he, the way he's carried himself and... The team and our club over the last six weeks has just been exemplary. Um, I can't speak highly enough of him. Um, he is absolutely delighted for the club that Alice is coming, very excited, I think, about the prospect of working with him. I did ask him after we had the conversation if he was a tiny bit cut that I wasn't ringing, ringing him to offer, this, <laughs> offer him to the role. But um, uh, <laughs> the wonderful thing about Patch is he knows exactly where it is and I, I hope that this stint has given him a taste for and an, and an ambition for senior coaching because gee, he's going to be an amazing senior coach one day. Understandably so. We know where Alistair sits in in the absolute overall scheme. I'm, I'm intrigued to know, did he ever make a presentation or was it not required? Hey, not in the formal way that I suspect you would 
associate with a lot of these processes? No, but um, but over about six hours of talking, um, we had a pretty clear. I have a pretty clear understanding of of what his plans are and where he's headed. Um, we'll give him some time now to to digest and and learn what he needs to know about our club. He doesn't start with us till November one, but. Um, uh, you saw him yesterday, his brain's already working, so we'll see, um, you know, what happens in the next month or so. Having seen him in brown and, and gold for so long, I actually thought last night <laughs> he looked really good in that blue shirt you had in, on him. It looked like a natural fit. You're going to have to hold the course. There's going to be moments in the future that some of the supporters say, we, we've lost X amount in a row, it's a hard road, we know he's a champion coach, but you still have to sell the hold the course line, because this is not a Alistair comes in and we rock it up the ladder next year? Uh, absolutely. First of all, everybody looks better in blue and white. So <laughs> that was that. Um, uh, secondly, you're absolutely right. There's no silver bullet here. And, um, you know, there are a lot of pieces in this that have to go right for, for us to have success. I think the important thing always is that we're honest about where we are in our journey and, and, and people understand that and they can see that. I People don't need to win every week. Um, people need to, to see hope and they need to see that the journey is going somewhere and they need you to talk straight to them. And uh, the other thing I've learned in the last month is that um, uh, Alistair is the master of straight talking, which I very much appreciate. Sonia, Sam Edmund here, brilliant. Oh, could have taken calls from your delighted members for eight hours plus yesterday. But can I just please go back a bit? Who contacted who at the start of the Clarkson process? Uh, thanks, Sam, and I'm delighted to have generated you some positive content. I think that's <laughs> terrific. Um, uh, initially... We had had a con there had been conversations between Club Connections um, and Alistair's camp, but the first formal call came from me uh, to James Henderson um, the week after David Noble had left our club. Sure. So I guess the only thing that matters is his signature ultimately, but we're not right to say that the Clarkson camp initially reached out to you earlier in the year, even if that would have been preliminary? Uh, I don't think so, no. I suspect... I, and actually, and I'm not being um, cute here, I genuinely don't know, but I do know that the first call that came um, from me, and I was really clear about this, and, and nobody on, from me or from anybody on the board came um, the, the, in the week after, after David Noble had left the club. And Thursday night, I've got to ask you, when, when Alan James told you the news, and obviously it didn't come out until the Friday morning, how did you spend that night on Thursday <laughs> night? Uh, um, my partner tells me that's the most least he's seen me in a while. I, um, <laughs> I was uh, like, I mean, I was, they, we probably finished here at about 11 o'clock. I was then, you know, on the, um, on the phone to Paul Nick Tormey, who's our wonderful um, media manager, trying to get a letter drafted to go out to members at nine o'clock the next morning. And, you know, so there's a fair amount of stuff that has to happen. And, um, and after 5am to make those things work. So I was, mm. um, you know, a, a cat on a hot tin roof. I, I did say David King, I think, is never going to forgive me for not coming in and announcing it on uh, SEN yesterday morning. But yeah. I did say to him that if, he, if his co-host hadn't been so keen on describing me as uninspiring, I might have popped by. But, you know. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I was, I was actually hoping that might have uh, come out of your mouth this morning. So you didn't disappoint, Sonia. Thanks. How much do you expect Alistair to reshape those around him in the football department? 
Um, I think that a large part of his role, and indeed a part of any of our role in a in a leadership context, is to help people be the best they can be. And I think that's what he's going to bring. I think he was really clear yesterday about underlining the fact that he doesn't want to see a lot of change. We've had a lot of personnel change in the football department over the last couple of years. And um, one of the things that um, Jeff Walsh's work for us underlined was just how good a lot of those changes have been. Um, but I think that the the real magic comes not just with the skill set and experience that people bring, but in the way in which they're able to work. And I think that Alistair will bring that out of them. So, Sonia, are the recommendations in the Walsh Review still relevant or do they now belong to a previous time? Uh, I think there's a lot of relevance in there, actually. And part of the reason, so we've been sharing those results internally and, and I haven't come back to members with them on that yet. And not because we're avoiding it, just because actually an awful lot of it is particular to people's jobs and, and individuals. Um, and, and the really joyous thing about it is how much positive feedback there has been to give. And again, I think in a year that's been tough, um, that's been really important for people to be able to hear. And in due course, that'll be important for our members to hear. There's a lot in there that, um, that I think we take forward in terms of understanding where the value sits. And I think, again, there's that tendency when things aren't going well to tip everything out, rather than to just to say, take a step back and say, there's some really good stuff here, so let's not lose sight of that. Will Ben Amafio continue as the chief executive into next year, Sonia? Ben Amafio has done an absolutely outstanding job getting us to where we are, and uh, he has been a large part of this process um, in the background, and I could not be prouder of the work that he's done. Resigning Mazda this week, um, which brings us to, what, 27 years or something with Mazda, has been phenomenal. If you're not driving the Mazda, you should be. Uh, and Ben has been a huge part of that. So, yeah, he'll continue with us to be a big part of our club. Will you continue with the priority pick application? Uh, I believe we will, yep. Does, yes, does that make today just a touch challenging? Is At the moment, you've got the number one draft pick and if the team plays inspired football and wins, you'll move out of that position. It's like everything, though, isn't it? The, the structural stuff underpinning where we are is still the structural stuff that underpins where we are. So the um, I, I really hope the guys have a win today. I'd be super disappointed if anybody was thinking otherwise. And uh, I think they'll play their hearts out for you know for each other and and for the club. And uh, they were so excited when I went in to tell them about the new coach yesterday. That was. Um, uh, that's the second time this year. They've actually the third time because the first time they heard from me was when I took the role. Uh, the second time was when uh, David and I announced that he would be stepping down, and the third time was yesterday. That's far too many times in a year to see your club president. <laughs> um, but uh, they were just delighted. I would I would think there'd be a lot of excitement today. So, Sonia, not to labour the point because today is about blowing the trumpets on this significant announcement. But you're saying Ben Amafio will definitely be the CEO of your football club in 2023. Uh, I will, would say that uh, I am incredibly excited about where we are right now and I'm, and I'm not thinking any further than that. Are you hopeful that, or do you know, will Alistair address the players before he heads off on, uh, before they head off on holidays? I believe he will, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a, that's a big moment in the history of the club in its own right. So if you were the author of Keep North South, Sonia, I reckon hmm. you now own the mantra, on you, Sonia, well done, and thanks for your time <laughs> on Crunch Time. Well done, Sonia. Thanks for having me, guys.
Thanks. Bye. Dr. Sonia Hood, the president of How North good. Melbourne. How good. So it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're going to spend a full amount of time. Just, Leon, it, it, there was an element. It just felt right and it looked right yesterday. Sometimes you have to see these things to know exactly how you'll react to them. What, what was? What's your sense of it? Yeah, it's funny. I was over in Adelaide uh, participating in some consulting work with a, with with some review of their talent pathway and then the news come through and I text him straight away and it was just great news. I said, great choice, fantastic result. He comes back, a little text, just of a picture of a kangaroo and <laughs> at a big tick. And uh, yeah, look, it is. It, I, mean, I think everyone who's who's spoken on this in the last couple of weeks understands it's a significant appointment at North Melbourne, you know, past player, um, super coach, and uh, gives a club uh, gives the club an enormous amount of hope uh, in a time where it's been really tough in the past couple of years. All right, we'll work through all of that, the implications for Essendon as well, and the tumultuous times that they have entered into, and whether their errors were this week or whether their errors date back a couple of months. Whether that's just semantics at this stage when the joint's on fire. So North Melbourne, Clarkson and Essendon all to come on crunch time. We'll delve into what transpired last night, get the full thoughts of Leon Cameron and Dermot Burton. And Alan Richardson is going to join us uh, just to give us the latest from Melbourne's perspective on the sledge, the cruel sledge from the Lions captain Dane Zorko towards Harrison Petty last night. The award-winning crunch time. A chance to look back over Friday night. The breakdown for Werribee Isuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Leon Cameron and Dermot Burton with you. The, the only relevant question I think out of last night is a return to what had been left. Is Melbourne's best the best? Mm. Because last night was a powerful demonstration. Now, uh, the one rider to that is they would love to play Brisbane every second oh, week because dear. they have it all over the Lions. Yeah, the Lions are in a horrible place, Leon. They, I try to break it down. If you were just going to put it on the whiteboard and, and tell your coterie members, what would you say? What would it look like? Their forward oh. line was dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. They were beaten up at the stoppage in the first quarter when the game was literally put out uh, of their reach and their black back line lacked cohesion and understanding of each other. You probably summed it up, Derm. Do we move on to the next segment? <laughs> <laughs> but you're exactly right, Derm. I mean, looking at that, I mean, I mean, clearly, how does that happen? I suppose what you've put on the whiteboard is exactly what happened last night and Melbourne just pounced on it. I'd like to dive in a little bit further and say, okay, well, why? Why does that happen? And is it because Brisbane are right now currently Melbourne's bunnies? Uh, is it a classic case of um, trying to win a huge big game up at the Gabba at the moment in front of a packed crowd? Um, the, the, the stakes are that high. Um, where's the leadership at Brisbane at that particular time? Because what you actually described then is exactly what happened. And, you know, Brisbane's back line, you know, couldn't function properly. Melbourne moved the ball really, really well. And, um, you know, the game was done by quarter time. I mean, six goals or seven goals to one and, and it was all over. And, and then after that, it was just, it piddled out. I mean, they gave a little bit of a yelp after half time. But, um, yeah, it's a huge challenge when you face that uh, position, as you said, Derm, because clearly it's not the ideal scenario when you're coming into a final series. And, um, 
you know, you've got to front up in a couple of weeks' time to try to pick up the pieces. My one drill down on top of that is both teams and the shots down the ground for me watching at home showed both teams after a, an initial period at the centre bounces tried to get the extra one behind play. For Melbourne, that extra one became Lever or May. Either and or both both of them are intercept markers when they are that player. So they retain the footy. At the other end, it turned into Harris Andrews or or, uh, Gardner. And they were spoiling. They weren't intercept marking. So they were the extra and they were coming over the top and attempting to spoil. And Cozzy Pickett feasted on it. So there was a total difference in that plus one down in each back line. They, 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 it screamed out to me that Brisbane needed somebody to go, well, I could drop it, I could soft drop it, and they'll crumb it anyway, but stuff it. I'll have a go at marking it. They just didn't have that, and Melbourne feasted on it. Yeah, efficiency. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, Brisbane 58 inside 50s to 50, and you're talking about crucial possession and Melbourne just run crucial contest or possession and turn that into a score. And if the ball was coming down to Melbourne's front half and it looked like they were dealing with a plus one, Brisbane made some poor choices in the air, on the ground, whatever that may be, with their extra. And Melbourne, by the time that that poor choice came, they caught up and, and made them punish. And whereas down the other end, you know, May, if he drops off or if it's Lever or if it's Petty, they have such a really good system because their wingers work so hard. And I think, think some people don't really understand the work rate of the Melbourne Footy Club when it's in full cycle. And we seen that firsthand yesterday and last night. And uh, everyone just thinks, oh, does May just sit there on his own? No, he works with the flow of the play and the system because their wingers work down really well. Neil Bullen empties out. Spargo empties out really, really well. Gorn pushes back. So as soon as they see density... One of them drops off straight away in line with the footy and it makes it so hard for the opposition to score. And you see it done absolutely first class last night. Just for the younger follower, when to explain the game, Leon, can you give us layman's term about empty out? Yeah, well, if you think when the ball's exiting out of your front half of the ground, out of your forward 50, um, the best sides always empty out, they run out and push out really quickly to get in line with the football. Further up the ground with the football. Absolutely. Yep. And you, 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 I mean, I know it was quite hilarious when we see Neil Bullen, you know, throwing his, his, his dinner up on the TV, but that would be just through unbelievable work rate. Mm-hmm. He's got a huge motor. Him, Spargo, Pickett, Brown. If I, 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 I don't know whether you can recall. Remember when Brown came on in the first five minutes of the game? He took an intercept mark down back. At fullback. Yeah. At fullback. So he's just gone straight there because that's their system. Now, it's fine having a system, Derm, as you would have had one at Hawthorne back in the 80s, and it was all evolved around Dermot Brereton. Um, <laughs> but uh, what you then got to be able to deliver it. Melbourne have the running capacity and the want to deliver it. Now, they have been a little bit up and down in the back half of the year, and maybe that want hasn't been there all the time. But when they push the button, these guys just systematically empty out in line with the footy so well, which allows Max Gorn and their midfielders to drop back, which then allows their backs to get that plus one every opportunity that they can get. Leon, Leon, can Fags get the system back for them in this time frame or is it something that could only really be 
perfectly managed in an off-season? Oh, look, no, 90% of that is in the off-season, Derm. But uh, if you – like, I can only speak from experiences at the Giants when I was there. I mean, we had some really bad losses, uh, either the second last or the last game of the year on a number of occasions. And we don't know in the Brisbane camp, Fags might be have six or seven players in there that are either banged up mm. or really struggling at the moment, and they might need the two weeks off. We've actually, in my experiences, needed it, crawled to the line, but then refreshed and then come out and had really strong finals performances. Now, if you look closely at Brisbane's finals performances, they haven't saluted, but they've never been belted. They're always in games. And you could count there's probably three or four unlucky games that could have went either way in the last three years uh, with their final series. So I know people will be piling on Brisbane today because it wasn't the performance that they wanted. But if they can regroup over a 14-day period and just put everything out there in terms of what they've done really, really well to get themselves in the position in the last three years, then they may be able to do a, a bit of damage. But when you come to that pointy second last week in the, in the final series, that prelim, form is form. If your form's not right in the first two weeks of the finals, you'll get found out. Is that level from Melbourne the, the standard to beat Leon in this final series? Does that reestablish them as the, as the force? Oh, look, we've, naturally because it's right in front of us on Friday Night Football. Jared, I mean, I think if I'm a Melbourne supporter, absolutely you look at that and how good's that because that's round 23. Now, whether Melbourne now can just see the hump and it's, they're over it and they go, there's only three games to go. And that is extremely hard and Derm, you probably experienced that. To go back to back is the hardest thing. To back up after a flag last year and then go again, there's no doubt they lost their edge in the back half of the year and that's why they probably couldn't go week on, week off. And so... Absolutely it is, looking at that powerful display, but we can't forget how good Geelong have been and we can't forget how good Sydney have been. We Just because we've seen them on Friday night footy, you would love to see this final series with those three sides in particular come up against each other in big prelims or clearly on grand final day because right now um, those three sides are playing the best footy uh, when it counts the most. It's if we get intoxicated with the last game we've seen. I, 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 it's a little while since they've looked like that. Yeah. So I, the I, question I, has been: Are they going to return to? So I look back at last year, right? Last game of the season, they have the after the siren victory, and that marries up with what happened last week. Mm. They win a game with eleven seconds left and the emotional high, and then they locked into footy. They were compelling in a qualifying final, and they played a standard in the preliminary final and grand final. Like I would argue, we've never seen. Mm. And then you that watch, far ahead of the yeah, and then yep. I watched Saturday night last week and think, oh, I wonder if that's it. And then Pat can, so so that was going to be my comment to you. I I left the, the 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 lounge room watching Sydney and Collingwood play, and I thought, oh my God, Sydney is seriously good. Flip these games timeline around. If Sydney did that performance tonight, last night. And, and and Melbourne's game against Brisbane was last weekend. What would you be? Would you still be thinking along those lines? Yeah, because I think Melbourne have elevated levels. So we have Sydney's on the rise, but we've seen it from Melbourne, and it was terrifying. Like those last two performances mm. in those in the final series last year, unlike anything I've ever seen. For me, 
they dropped too far in the back half of the year to say it's back again. So I've still got to, and I do believe at, at any stage, the best football of any team that's been played in the last 18 months is Melbourne. Their best is the best by far. Is that back to it? Because the opposition, I think, didn't display a fifth position ladder uh, yep. uh, place, a fourth position uh, um, team. So is it a mini false read on that? It could be. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I know I think, you. It'll be. I want around twenty four. <laughs> I need I some think, more yes. information. But but their best. I still say Melbourne's best is league's best. But was that it? Given the opposition. I think there's a key personnel missing though there, Derm as well. I mean, it is the bit. It is the best, and I think that everyone can clearly say that. But. They need to. I think they still need to get McDonald back up and running. And I, my understanding is he's going to play uh, some football over the bye weekend next weekend. Now it's not ideal because you'd like to have another two or three weeks with him, but he's still a missing piece. And yeah, if you watch last night, Pickett bobs up and kicks four was fantastic. Fritch does it again. He kicks four. Having a key position, it was really important that Ben Brown kicked three goals. But you know as well as I do, Doom, when it comes to that finals football and trying to move the ball from one end of the ground to the other, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking. There's got to be a lot more long down the line. Having a guy like McDonald, if they can get him up, is going to be the missing piece. Do you want to add one more thought? Well, there's no doubt about that. The finals make so much pressure. The ball lands at the domain of a centre-half forward more so than any of the other games of the year. So you need somebody, you need a worker who will hit that area. The Sour Postscript to the Game centres on Dane Zorko and what he said to Harrison Petty. Alan Richardson is going to join us next. You're listening to Crunch Time. Our Friday night footy discussion is for Werribee Isuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. The award-winning Crunch Time. Now looking back on the events of Friday night footy, Melbourne 18 7, 115, defeated the Brisbane Lions 8 9, 57. Werribee Isuzu Ute upgrade your old Ute into D Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade ins. The unsavoury aspect of last night, Sandwich Ute detailed at the starter a cruel sledge yep. which left Harrison Petty in tears at three quarter time. The, the history of these things and how they are resolved. We were working through the yeah. past 15 years or so. Unfortunately, there's been a few over the journey. We do have to go a fair way back, thankfully, to incorporate most of these, Jerry. But Adam Selwood and Des Headland had a coming together. There's been Mark Murphy and Jake Carlisle. Sam Mitchell was different with the Bombers, of course, uh, going back a few years. And Will Minson, the former Western Bulldog ruckman, had a few run-ins with uh, Daniel Pearce and Kane Corns, which he uh, documented in his autobiography as well. Typically speaking, the AFL doesn't come down on these things like you might assume. I've spoken to the league this morning. There remains a possibility whereby this is sorted out amongst the clubs and amongst the players. In fact, historically... Would you agree with that? Well, Should it be done that way? Well, historically speaking, some of these players have been suspended by their own clubs before the AFL has even started an investigation. And in many ways, that's where it's ended as well. I think if we don't get into... Uh, look, without going into detail about what exactly was said from Dane Zorka, it wasn't uh, racial vilification, obviously. Um, it, it didn't cross any of those added... Uh, it's a horrific comment, but it didn't mm. cross any of those lines where I would have thought it's a fait accompli that the AFL has yep. to come in and go yep. through their processes of conduct unbecoming and racial vilification codes and such. So that's where it sits at the moment. They, they reserve the right to come in, of course, 
But I think there's an expectation this morning that it might, might not get to that. So for me, it is an area which there is no illegality. Illegality. So I had to think my way through that. In the situation, it's desperately poor form, and I would I would agree with the stance that the league take, and that is the club of the player committing that poor form should self police the issue because if the AFL come in and make a ruling, it in some small opening in some small. Well, what, universe could open itself to legal action. What can happen is if the AFL observe and then they do, they aren't happy with the outcome, then they often come over the top. But at this point, it looks as though Brisbane have been really proactive about it. But I don't come... think clubs have ever insufficiently uh, um, uh, uh, handed no. handed no. their player their 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 player who stepped out of line insufficiently uh, penalise them. So let's head inside the Melbourne camp. The general manager of football performance, Alan Richardson. Richo, welcome to Crunch Time. Yeah, g'day, Jared. Good to be here. Is the AFL involved this morning in this uh, in this instance? Yeah, no, no they are, Jared. Um, I've um, I've spoken to the AFL. Um, my understanding is um, that they're pretty comfortable with where it sits. I'm, I'm I can't speak for them, but uh, that's certainly the tone that, that I got. That based on the fact that. Dane apologised, and Harrison Petty's really comfortable with where that sits. Um, you know, as a footy club. You know we're comfortable with where where it sits now too, so um, uh, it, it's up to them. But that's um, that's certainly our stance. Have you had further discussions with the Lions this morning? Um, I'm out watching a, a, our, our VFL team play their VFL team, and I just had a um, a quick chat to Fags. Um, certainly not from an official capacity. Um, whilst we touched on it. Um, no, you know they've been really quite sincere in their apology. That, that you know that's not the sort of behaviour they want from their players. They they were really impressive yesterday in terms of taking the issue seriously and during the course of the game making sure that at the right time and that was at the end of the game that that um, you know the apology was was given. Is that the only contact there's been between Dane and Harrison? What we saw on screen last night, or or has there been subsequent follow up? Oh, look, that's my understanding is that's where it's at. But it wouldn't surprise me, given how proactive Brisbane have been all the way through this, that um, there's been other contact, but I'm unaware of that. And why did it strike you, Richo, at three-quarter time? You, you wanted to go and speak to Danny Daly. Um, so without asking you the words, why did it strike you as um, as the need for intervention? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One... one um, there, you know, which just was inappropriate. So something needed to be said, and and there was a quarter of footy left for, for, um, a footy club or a player to apologise and to to get that back on track. Without my motivation at that stage was was it not to become as public as it has? Just just let's sort it out as two footy clubs. The other part was our bikes were pretty emotional. I I was it was a you know there was a bit in the game in terms of phys- physicality and. Yeah, I was a little bit concerned as to where this might go. So it was basically that sort of conversation. Now, look, you guys are going to have to make sure that you do whatever you need to do to, to cool things down here. So to avoid players taking it into their own hands in the last yeah, quarter. That was, a, that was a bit of a fear of mine, yeah. So, Richo, has Melbourne's involvement here ceased and, and now it's up to Brisbane to announce what, what they may or may not do. Is, it, is, is Melbourne's involvement done in this regard? Yeah, yeah, no, we, um, and more importantly, Harrison's, yep. he's comfortable with where it all sits. That was the most important part from our perspective. We grabbed Pest last night and 
you know, given that there was the apology after the game and, um, and, and he felt that that was really sincere. Um, the, the fact that Brisbane did what they did during the course of the game, including straight after the game, coming to our coach's box and mm. just just um, express their, their sorrow for what had happened there. No, we, uh, we thought they did a great job. And so Harrison was really comfortable for it all set. So can you tell us, we'll broaden the conversation if you, if you don't mind. Oh, Luke Jackson obviously subbed out last night with a cork calf. Um, uh, was painted as precautionary. Is uh, is he in any danger at all as, as we cast forward to, to finals, Richard? No, given this two, like, two weeks, yeah. we're really comfortable that he'll be right. But yeah, it was getting tighter and tighter. And given, you know, given the, the nature of the scoreboard, um, yeah, we were pretty... You know, we're in a pretty good position, so it was. Um, it just made a bit of sense. You know, it was. You're always mindful of. Mm. You know, we know what the rules there for. But uh, no, this was one that there was a chance that he could. He could actually do a pretty significant injury and mean he does miss a miss a potential final. So we didn't want that to happen. And I know you're out at the VFL at the moment, but Tom McDonald, when when would you hope to get uh, get him out there and and back up and running again in a in a game capacity? Yeah, so as we sit here now, based on the way he's tracking, he'll play. He'll play next week, and that and that's, you know, we're hopeful given the training he's been doing. We'd be looking at him playing significant minutes next week, and that would give him a chance for the first week of the finals. Or is that a bit overly optimistic? Um, oh, look, we think you know Tom McDonald at his best makes us a better team. Um, is he going to be at his best after one week at VFL level? You know, a team that's um, in recent weeks, perhaps not the Carlton game. We were a little bit stagnant with our ball, but the scoring hasn't been an issue for us. We've actually, it was in the front half of the year, our scoring and our efficiency going inside 50 has been pretty effective. So it's not right now, we're not crying out for change. Uh, but, you know, we, we love what Tom brings. Mm. Tom and his best definitely makes us better. So we'll just, we'll just um, see, how that one, see how that one plays out. And are you hopeful, Richo, that in the next few days Adam Uze might come and knock on the door and say, I've loved my time here, but I've got the senior job at the Giants and I'll be off at the end of the year? Yeah, we are. Yeah, no, he's um, he's a very impressive coach. He's a, he's a great person. He's been amazing for our footy club and we, we'd be delighted. We, we think that, um, you know, we'd, um, we'd be really proud as a footy club that someone has come through, although most of his apprenticeship was done elsewhere with, with Clarko at the Hawks. We, we know that. But, yeah, no, he's, he's a good man. We... We want him to continue on and finish off his, his great work here with us, and he's committed to that. But um, no, that'd be a great result for us and his family. So no matter what, he will, he, yeah, he'll stay in your coaching staff till wherever your campaign finishes. Yeah, he will. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're keen for that, and so so. Yeah, Richo, thanks for taking the call this morning. Good on you guys. Thanks, Richo. Alan yeah, Richardson, Richo. the GM of Footy at Melbourne. So just to round out that the apologies are sincere and personal by yep. the sound of it. Do you think Leon, the AFL, has any role to play or, or should they observe those circumstances and be okay with it? Oh, I think they can be okay with it. I mean, I think that um, the two clubs have done a wonderful job and I just want you to, to, to hark back there a little bit. I mean, Richo, to do that at three-quarter time is a really, really fantastic move to go and then embrace Danny Daly, tell him what's happened. And from then, all the actions that's happened um, since then – apologies here, confronting people here. I think they've done a wonderful job. And I think if the AFL look at it and say, yep, we're really happy with the result, um, we move on. Mm. Watching brief, as it were, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, it's, the, the lines are interesting. Is That is unbecoming of a captain. 
what's transpired and, and how they deal with that is yeah. very real, I think. And he's that, been combative in recent weeks, but this is obviously going to a whole other level again. There's a difference between combative and yeah. trying to lead the way while yeah. you're in a form slump. But yeah. this is, these are not the words of the captain of, of a footy club. I'd agree with that. So, no, I, I think he would realise he's let himself down. The one thing I, I would... I don't know if there is any clarity on it. I got the feeling last night from some of the wordage around it was that, that Dane had said, no, that was misconstrued, it was misunderstood, yet I'm hearing today there was an unequivocal apology. So has he backstepped on yeah. the... So he's got a little bit of public tidying up to do, I yeah. think. Yeah. This is crunch time. Welcome to Crunch Time. The round 23 edition of Crunch Time, already covering a lot of ground. Melbourne's 58-point win over the Brisbane Lions. Sonia Hood, the full interview, how she landed Alistair Clarkson and the transformational aspect for North Melbourne. The unsavoury incident last night at the Gabba between Dane Zorko and Harrison Petty. If you haven't caught all of that, it'll be straight on the podcast to take in. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmonds, Leon Cameron and Dermot Brereton with you as we zero right in on the Clarkson announcement yesterday. Joyful for North Melbourne. You've had a big slice of that. Disastrous for Essendon in the way that the past week and indeed the way the past couple of months have unfolded. A series of press conferences while the house is burning in the background and then Alastair Clarkson gave the context around Essendon too little too late. That whole process just came far too late to give it really, really serious consideration and uh, out of fairness to the people that I know at the, at the Bombers, um, you know, I've got such high regard for Bill Kelty, Linda Deshow, these sorts of people that are just David Evans, just tried and true Essendon people. They've been a great club um, and it was really out of respect for, for those people that um, I had to repay that respect with a dignified way to at least listen to what they had to say. But um, the due diligence required to actually consider coaching a club takes a hell of a lot more than four days for me, anyway. Um, and I just just ran out of time. Different set of circumstances, different time. Who knows? But this was the right fit for me and our club right now. That's what Luke Hodge told us on Wednesday morning. Don't be fretful if you're a North Melbourne person. This is Clarko's due diligence. So just before we delve, Sam, just put some detail around, I don't know, the last 48 hours, the last five days, the yeah. last two months, however you want to approach the Essendon scenario. Well, you might have to bear with me, to be honest, Jared, but we'll get through it as quickly as we can. So David Barham, his exasperation and frustration, I suppose, his own club's plight has now seen the furnace turn back on him after this ham-fisted attempt to secure Clarkson in a week where he is angered just about every section of that football club. So Barham actually quit the board earlier this year. He stormed out of a meeting. He said, that's it. I'm done. He was cajoled. He was talked back by his fellow directors. So this is the man who's now president of that football club. That angst centred on the review, which was internal and not external, like Barham and some others at board level had wanted. When the internal review came back, he saw it as underwhelming and it was the trigger to see him take control of the board on Monday and for Brasher to step aside. So 
Kevin Sheedy put his name to the internal review. He's very interesting in this. So he was then the critical piece, though, that crossed the floor for the Barham faction that wanted the external review. So it's hard to work out exactly what Kevin Sheedy's motivation is here. Now, Barham was encouraged enough at the start of this week to go chips in for Clarkson, who yesterday at North Melbourne said, as we heard there, he was never going there given the approach. At least the former one had come too late and he termed it unsavoury as well. So yesterday, while he was being unveiled at Arden Street with all the smiles, over at Tullamarine, they were going for David Barham. Now, he arrived to address the players first, and they just went right at him. The biggest calling out and shaming some witnesses say they've seen. They didn't hold back the players. They were staunch in their defence of Rutten, principally around the way he'd been treated, that he was kept in the dark, that he wasn't told, that uh, as a contracted coach, he deserved far better. Barham then moved on from the players to the football department, and it went much the same way, Jared. They were angry, they were disillusioned, and they gave him strong feedback as well. Then Dave Barham went to the administration section of the club and they told him it wasn't good enough. And it, it's okay to be ruthless and ambitious, but you've got to have a plan and to have a unified approach to that plan. So they were angry. And then he went to that press conference at the end with the media that was relatively shambolic and it was put spectacularly up in lights. So I thought that press conference at the end that summed up the day from hell for David Barham. I, I'm not sure... As we sit here right now, how long, how firm his grip on that presidency might be. And he's a week into it. So I had a plan. I just didn't have a plan B. And plan B would thwart you having plan A. It, it was a. But plan was A, a was given place. no time to succeed. I would say I Barham, Barham's long term judgment was right. There, there's nothing wrong with them wanting to get the best coach they can possibly get. Back in. Back yes. when yeah, so six months ago, his yep. push yeah. for the external review That's right. was right. But, but you got to know when to hold him and fold him. Yeah. So if he had his way, sure, there was enough time, wasn't there? But then there wasn't by the time he took control. So now they've ended up with a humiliated coach, an angry playing group, a still divided board, and external reviews, some believe, will shine a light on football department factions as well. That's where Essendon sits at the moment. So right now, do any of us believe that Ben Rutten will coach round one, 2023? You should take that, Leon. Not on what uh, Sam has just explained, Dermot, because there is so many different divisions by the sounds of it at this football club um, on on what you've just said. Um, I would be really disappointed for Ben because I think he deserves the opportunity. He's he's two years in. Um, I know we talk about he spent a year under Warsfold, but the surrounds which he has no control over of what's happened in the last four or five days uh, leads to a really, really interesting position. And even to the stage, uh, it concerns me that they're actually meeting as a board like tomorrow, Sunday, to decide Ben's future now because are they being pushed because they've actually made such some, some, some really interesting choices in the last four or five days that they have to either give Ben clarity on saying you're with us or you're not? Is that the reason they're meeting tomorrow? But... It is a really, really hard one from a pure coach's hat on. I'd be really disappointed if he wasn't. But I could actually understand if actually Ben met them yesterday, sorry, tomorrow, and said, hey, listen, I'm out. It's the most thorough undermining of a coach that we've seen in many a year. <sighs> yes. That's a, that's a good description. Um, yeah. It's the part, one partner's played up on the other. How do you win that yeah. trust back? So they they should have sacked him on Monday. I, I, 
if and you, you know if, what? As if, coarse and harsh as that sounds, it would have given them clear air yeah. and a space to say there are no wrong decisions from here in. Whether right or wrong, what we've just done, that's even though it was half an hour ago, that's in the past. We move forward from and, this point. And told nothing, Ben Rutten, either, Jared. So he, he's at home and he's seeing the reports, and as we know now, false reports that he'd been sacked. He's reading all this. He's trying to call people at the club. He can't get an answer. He can't get people to call him back. He didn't get a line of sight on it until the next day, Tuesday. Now, this is the senior coach of your football yeah. club. Can you imagine? So if, that's a, yeah. if that's the case, Sam, I mean, that as we've seen, I mean, you can only go on what we've, what's been reported. That That is really disappointing. I mean, he should be told first and... And just going back to him, you're right. If if they absolutely have that much doubt or some doubt creeping in, then clearly they should have done something on Monday. You cannot drag this out over a five or six day period or you either go, no, you're our man and they've got to make that decision really, really quickly now because if they just sit on the fence right now again, then who knows where it's going to lead to. I, d- I don't know how he... He holds the course himself because regardless of whether he retains the job at their discretion or not, he's always going to feel I'm their second choice. And yeah, it's a hard. It's, and there's right. always going to be yeah. second choice to uh, Alistair Clark's and 99.9% coaches are going to be second choices to mm. Alistair. Mm. But in, under these circumstances, to be second choice while you've still got the job, it's, it's, I have not seen this before. And the question was put to him directly yesterday. Would you be willing to coach next year and fulfil your contract? And he, and he couldn't answer that, Ben Rutten. So mm. it's it's obviously all to play out in the in – you'd think the near future, Jared. anyway. Do you think, Leon – so there's we talk a lot in footy circles around uh, mental health and an awareness and an empathy, and then just too often we get to moments where – it just seems to play no role. It, is, it doesn't seem like anybody paused long enough to go, what is this actually going to do to the man who is in our care? He's their, he's a club's most important employee in a way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I mean, the hard, <laughs> I was talking to someone about this the other day. The hardest thing is to get total alignment. It's, the, it's very easy for me to say it right now. It takes a half a second. Total alignment. Um, but... To get your CEO, your chairman, your football manager, your coach, your senior assistant all on the same page, that doesn't mean you all have to agree on everything, but you have to agree on the big things. And the, <laughs> there's not much bigger than looking after your own. Regardless of whether they think that he is the coach for the next five or six years, um, it's they've just taken those wrong steps, and that's the heart, the, the hardest thing to fathom. And uh, now they've got to be able to now, okay, where do they go from here? And um, uh, I've sort of read a few little articles here and there, but they cannot rush this now. I mean, they can't. They need to go through a full process of what that looks like um, if they decide to make a change. Um, because if if David's come in and said, right, I don't like what I've seen. I've sat on the board, and we're not going down the right path and we need to make some change internally, then you've got to let that play out now. It has to play out. There are portions of that board which can't survive, I think, given the misjudgments that were made. So those who staunchly stood with the internal review, I don't imagine how they survived. The chief executive's master plan of the succession has now been pulled apart by 
his own board who were largely there and approved it. So I don't, I think that makes Xavier Campbell's job uh, very difficult to retain and to set the future direction and to command the authority. Um, there, there's clearly a move to to take Adrian Dodoro out of the club, who's been a long time impresario of of mm. recruiting. Like all of these things have to be settled, as as Leon said, and not instantly, but methodically, in in a in a time frame, and then get the external review, which will come with its recommendations. So and against all of that, you're trying to hire a new senior coach. Notwithstanding that. You, you, like you mentioned Dodoro. Why would you take him out of the club and thereafter do your external review? Yeah, so this is just trying to read. Because I can't see that. And I, I know he's been there a, a fair while, but he's a footballing person. He's almost Essendon royalty yeah. in, in his stance. I can't see that he's made many mistakes in recruiting. And this is where, so where does the balance of power sit? So there, there are, there's a deep, fracture within that football setup and he's on one side of it and I think it's true that Josh Marnie's on the yeah. other side of it so that can't continue Leon talks about alignment mm. that that is riven that that football department at the moment so it's almost who's got the balance of power as to who gets removed it, it's I I feel like this is the cultural piece that Essendon has to face up to is they need uh, I listen to Matthew Lloyd about this is they need deep cultural change. Dave Barham might be the driver yeah. of that, but he's so damaged today. Yeah, that's the hardest thing, as Sam alluded to. He's probably tried to jump in and go, I, I, I've gone down this path because he's looking at the internal review and going, mm. that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Um, we need to, th- th- there needs to be more change here. And this is for the next 10 to 15 years, not for next year, just to you know, satisfy the, you know, the growing supporters of, of the Bombers here. And so I think, um, I mean, that that's the big decision here. Some, that's why they, they can't rush it. They have to use September and October to go, okay, we're doing an external review. I know we're absolutely looking really, really poorly here at the moment, but if we go any other way, then the whole place could implode. But if there is fractions between football manager, recruiting, coaching, assistant coaching, admin, it, whatever it is, someone, and if, if the chairman has the pull, then he has to make the decision for the best interests of the Essendon Football Club, but regardless, regardless of the relationships there. And we all know we've been in places where relationships can fracture, but if he, but at the end of the day, it's what's best for Essendon. If that means some long-serving people at the club, uh, it times up, or... If someone's come in and they're not the right fit, that the, the chairman has to be able to look down and make those really, really strong decisions when that external review is completed. And that, all these things we talk about justify the need for an external review, but there had to be a moment where David Barham said, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, well, I haven't got everything in place in time. And that's just got to be parked now, the Alistair Clarkson side. And we've got to go through the external review and, and everything that comes from that. Because the week they've just had, I wonder if you are a prospective senior coach and you're looking at Essendon, how damaging is it for Essendon's reputation? Are you willing to go in there as a senior coach? That's that's probably the other part of it that will that needs to be fleshed out as well. In, in reality, they made their play for Clarkson. If they didn't believe mid-year that Rutten was the right man and they had to pull that lever then... They're a massive chance to yeah. win Clarkson. Yep. 
Yeah, you'd think so. Yep, if they'd taken yep. the same methodical, strategic approach that Sonia Hood did. Yeah, um, and that's they have to live with that. It's it, it is amazing, and having lived through this on a board, when one team pulls a lever on their coach, and you know there are two. Or one, two, or three really top line prospective options, and your coach is shaky. It makes you nervous. Are we doing the right thing sitting on our hands? Are we doing the right thing trusting our incumbent to fight his way out of it and make the club better again? It's a very nervous time. Essendon have sat on their hands during it, and it might, it, it, who knows, in another universe, it might have been the right thing to do. There's no right or wrong to it. Just the end it justifies the means. So, yeah. so Jared, if you had, to, as Dermot just said, if you were sitting there as a passionate Essendon supporter this morning and you had to make a decision on what's happened over the last five days, who would you support? Would you support what the incoming chairman has done? Or you say, no, we should be supporting Ben Rutten and just play out the internal review and we move on. Yeah, so I'm a bit of a believer. A board has the right to lose faith in their coach, but there are responsibilities that come with that. So That's my awful. view on Tuesday morning was they owed Ben Rutten, A, his dignity, and B, his payout. And that that is absolutely the right of a board. But they did neither. They left him there to Hang. to walk that awful in and out. In, it's a public spectacle and it's oh. an ordeal. Right. So uh, uh, I So they made... Absolutely the wrong call there. Um, it's hard to support anybody, Leon. That that's that's the difficult part right now. And so there's so many. I think there's so many many casualties in this as accepting your own responsibility in it, and then paving a way to heal. So it's the healing that becomes the critical part. But the bleeding hasn't finished yet. Mm. The fact that they're going to have this ugly meeting tomorrow where in all likelihood they're going to sack Ben Rutten in the aftermath. I mean, that's just, that is ghastly, if I'm really honest with you. Yeah, it is. Absolutely, it is. That, that, they have to, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, they have to. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's the old Oscar Wilde, and I love the saying, um, yet each man kills the thing that he loves. You actually have to be brave and use the sword, and you, you, you kill somebody you really enamoured with and love. You've, you've got to run the sword over. So what, what does it look like when they play tonight? So... The Essendon community it does tend to demonstrate. It's not hard to think back to the standby herd placards and the like. So it's an Essendon home game. My word. What does their supporter mm. group look like when they gather tonight? What do the players do? So there's an element. I, I like the players standing up for their coach and the human side of it. But they failed him on a football front desperately. Yeah, can I can tell you the players will always stand up and make the noise of standing for their coach. Not all of them always believe yeah. what they are saying. So let's think and back to the last time we saw them. Horrifically wrong. Mm. Like that, they played in the most uncommitted manner of the year last Sunday night. They yeah. weren't playing for their coach at that stage. Mm. That which adds been, another yeah. element. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Port Adelaide game, which adds another element to that. I mean, the, the question is, what, what happens tonight? I mean, Derm, you're right. I mean, I mean, that's what premiership sides are about when you run out you know what you're going to get from everyone and right now that's probably not the case at Essen even though they might be saying they're standing up for their coach but mm. you'll be really disappointed on what's played out throughout the week and especially yesterday when they were voicing their opinion by the sounds of it to the the incoming chairman in David that 
they were disappointed that they wouldn't get in behind him and play a brand of footy for 120 minutes, knowing it's the last game, um, to just show their respect for their coach, regardless of what happens in the coming weeks. There's the spectre of James Hurd in this. There are obviously people at Essendon who believe that he is the figure to be able to heal. Yeah. If you're a non-Essendon supporter, it's it's very hard to understand that even as a concept. It is. It's hard to get your head around this as a legitimate possibility, Jared. but it depends who you ask at Essendon. Now, some people say it could happen. They almost they want it to happen. And then there's others who say that is the stuff of fantasy. We cannot revisit the past. That that ship has sailed forever and we can't go back there. So we, we speak about division. I mean, it goes right to what comes next as well in terms of James Hurd, a, a grade of the game up there at GWS at the moment. Didn't they think that, that Johnny Walsfold was going to heal? And yet the way he was treated in the last year or so of his tenure at Essendon, he sat in the back row with his hands in his pockets and didn't speak to anyone, rarely spoke to anyone. I thought that was most undignifying. I can't say it, Jared. But That's two in a row. We're, we're all on the outside looking in. But I it just depends who seizes control yeah, of the I club. Know, so know. there's a power vacuum at the club right now. That is clearly a faction. If they end up with control, they can install whoever they choose. Of course. Of course they can. It's hard to move through and become the next iteration of your football club. If you do that, though, that, that weds you to How the past. You, yeah, exactly. How do you segregate yourself from what's gone before if you're willing to bring in a big figure like that again? I just I, I struggle to reconcile with that. Leon, you, you, you're a recent coach. I'm not going to say do you want the job at Essendon, but for somebody who knows the landscape of coaching, if they asked a prospective coach come and sit through an interview with us, give us your best foot forward, what would you be asking of them? Oh, look, the first thing is uh, you've got to sort some stuff out here. I mean, clearly. Um, you, you're right, Dermot. I mean, what, what would what would I ask of them? I mean, how stable is your chairman? How stable is your football manager? How stable is your CEO? What did the review say? I mean, <laughs> Alistair Clarkson, say two months ago, he could come in and as an experienced coach that's won four flags, it's got a fair bit of clout in behind him, could probably come in and demand a, a number of things if the Essendon Football Club were chasing him and saying, okay, well, I can't, I'm not going to come to your football club unless X, Y, and Z is fixed. In terms of a younger coach like myself, yes, I've been around for nine or 10 years. Um, clearly, I don't have that clout as much as Alistair, but if you were asking that question, you would want to know about the makeups of your footy club before jumping into an interview process to say, well, how stable is your football manager? What happened here? Do you mind me having looking over the external review? And that's why I said earlier on that I don't think they can start interviewing if they are going to be looking for a new coach. And I hope that Ben Rutten survives. And I know everyone's got an opinion whether or not he does or he doesn't. And I hope he survives because he's a young coach and he hasn't been given the opportunity yet. But if they do go that way, they can't start interviewing for a senior coach until they actually sort out themselves and the external review is done and then those recommendations are then put in place and then the last call is mm. the senior coach. Yeah. Because, Dermot, I don't think it's fair for a Leon Cameron or an Adam Kingsley or an Adam Muse or a Mark McVeigh to come into that interview process and go, okay, uh, just before we start... Um, where are you guys at? 
Yeah. I don't just don't think it's fair. And they have to sort that out first. And if that means that takes till halfway through October or November, that is what they have to do. And I, and I must say that hypothetical was based on a vacant position at that yes. club, yep. what you yep. would say. Yep. Yep. Do, do you have any read, Leon, from your time with James Hurd, whether he was entertaining the idea of, of, of uh, furthering his coaching aspirations? In the short period of time when he was with me at the Giants, um, uh, the the feel that I got from him that, that he was just grateful to be back in footy. Um, he was looking for some more fulfilment in his life in terms of I love the game. Um, they've been out it for a long time and just grateful to be back in. I didn't get the sense that he wanted to jump in as a senior coach. Um, and he didn't turn around and say, hey, listen, Leon, I'm, I'm, I'm not here. I don't want to be a senior coach ever. I just don't think he wants to get into that part of his life right now. Now, that might have changed in the last three months. As we know, he's been working closely with Mark and, and Dean Solomon and the Giants uh, people as well. So that might change. But uh, my opinion is that is, again, whether it, they're going to talk to James or whoever, they have to go through this process first and they have to look at the past before they move forward. And um, and that is the big thing because if you have a quick fix just because it's been a terrible week or a terrible year, then they're jumping in with, in a non-methodical way leading into the next 10 years. Yep. They're pretty sage words um, and they should... Uh they should be heard and a bit of a cause for pause. So, Sam, just as we wrap up this conversation, what 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 happens next? Well, they've got to commission the review, as Leon said. They've got to put together a panel. Who's going to lead the review? Uh, who's going to be involved in it? When does it commence? And we're talking several weeks here before the, the, the review's even done, and then it's got to be put to the board. Whoever's on the board at that time as well is a... Is a state of play at the moment and then the board will choose what recommendations they want to implement and what ones they don't so I, I think it's probably as simple as that Michael Hurley plays his, his last game and he spoke with great honesty during the week as well from the players perspective so we wish him well going into the last one okay don't forget to check out the AFL record this week it has the down to the wire permutations of which there are still so many and Patrick Dangerfield is preparing for his 300th game in the twilight today. We'll spend some time on what Paddy has meant to football, both on field and off. Leon Cameron and Dermot Burton with you this Saturday of Round 23 as we work our way through crunch time. The award-winning crunch time. Gearing up for today's games, thanks to Dometic... Go on your next adventure, Dometic.com.au. There is interest in Saturday footy. It really gets going on Sunday, though, with the big finish. Uh, that's a big hello to you, though, if you're in South Australia, because hasn't that had a showdown build up to a showdown? Uh, I was going to make... Oh, no, I will make that the rev up, because I think they've done the revving up. So just call your jets oh, on the showdown. Oh, you got me wound Call up. your jets. We'll get to that in a moment. Patrick Dangerfield in the Twilight today plays game 300. The schoolboy footballer who becomes the president of the Players Association. He reaches 300. He's young. So he has a lot more football ahead of him. But it does give us a moment, Dermot Brereton, to pause and reflect on what Paddy is in the modern landscape. Oh, I come from an era where 300-game players limped to the line because of the medical uh, uh, room that was sitting on the other side of the uh, the chalk. And we barely got there in our days. But 
This bloke has powered to 300 games. I know he's got the odd soft tissue injury here or there, but his football on field has powered to 300 games. You look at him now and, and teams still go out there and say, how do we contain the beast in the middle? If he just lets loose and, and wins the ball at the stoppage, it's going Geelong's way. So he's an incredible player. He seems a damn fine bloke. He loves his fishing, loves his surfing, good family man. He's a Good representation of, you know, we, we get this picture of what sports people are and some people say the meathead footballers. Well, he completely belies that that image, doesn't he? He's, um, he's a champion, Blake, and a champion player. Leon, you've coached against him his, his whole career in one guise or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Doom summed it up. I mean, uh, for such a physical player to be 300 games and still looks like he's got another three Four years, who knows, uh, depending on how he's feeling mentally. But uh, he plays in such a ruthless way. And uh, when he's on the bottom of the pack, it's unbelievably hard to contain his energy, his effort. And I think for the first time in his career, if it's all played out in the manner that we probably will see it play out, is that he will come into a final series not banged up. And everyone, you know, wants the 300-game player or the star of the show to, to win a grand final and, and have a great ending and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, hopefully that can happen for, for Geelong and him because he deserves it thoroughly. He puts his body on the line every week. Um, you're right, Derm. He's, he's um, you know, he's not the thug that we probably think of football back in the 80s and 90s and he's just so well-respected in amongst all players and uh, he's got a life outside of football. He's ambitious and... He's been unbelievably good for the Crows in his first half of his career and, and then clearly the Cats in his second half. Always come back to his draft year, draft moment, 2007. The headline in the Adelaide Advertiser screamed, he better be good. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty bloody good, isn't he? Because was a lot of in Adelaide. There was a lot of conjecture at that time. Remember, remember he stayed back here and he studied in Victoria. He couldn't train with his team. He'd fly him back and forth. New Crow better be good. Adelaide Advertiser, 2007. <laughs> what a headline. Uh, what a headline indeed. Um, St Kilda is called Review. So they're in a really mm. interesting spot, Leon. They've identified themselves as being in the six to eight bracket and they've got evidence of that. And how do you break out of the, the six to ten bracket? They want an external assessment on their own list. They remain optimistic that they are heading in the right direction. The, the key decisions are already made. The, the chief executive handover has been well flagged. The coach has been re-signed. So this one's not about um, uh, jobs being lost. This is about the, the systems checker. Is our aspiration on track or do we need a, a change of strategy now and, uh, and maybe take a, a small reset to, to enter premiership calculations? Yeah, look, I actually don't mind the move. I think it's a good move because, I mean, if you trust the people inside your football club, um, and we just had a great conversation previously about the Bombers and uh, trust and honesty and and egos and, and all of those sort of mixed in, in in one. But if you if you think that you can assess your football club properly with the people you've got and then add a little bit of flavour, from an external person that has a football background. I know it's just recently that he was the coach, but he's been around for 30 years, David Noble, um, and, he's, and, he's, and he's worn a number of hats. So he's not going to go in there and go, I'm not going to tell the truth here because I like Brett Ratton. He's a good, honest person. 
He's going to come in and say, oh, look, I think you're doing 85% really well, but I'm just going to reinforce A, B, C, and D. Whether it's draft, recruiting, trading, um, uh, coaches, and I think it's a really good idea because clearly St Kilda want to move up the ladder in the coming years. And and every lever that you pull every every year, whether you go to the draft to bring in talent or trade, you need to make sure you're winning more than not on those decisions. And if David Noble can add a little extra to the people that they already trust in the football club, then I see that as a good thing. Does the review incorporate a review of the board and their decision-making yep. processes and their uh, uh, the way that they view the footballing world? It yep. does. It and does. how honest does that get? It, well, I think, Dermot, depends on the person that delivers it. And I think if they think David Noble, which I know him personally, I think he will speak his mind, then people have got to be prepared for some open, honest truths, which clearly is the hardest thing when you have different makeups of different characters on boards. And uh, because um, you come back to that total alignment, if the board thinks that St Kilda need to, uh, should be in fourth spot, then they're, then they're off the mark. St Kilda are where they are. I think we all sit here and know, well, They've just missed out in the finals. That's where they're at. Um, that's where their list will say that they're at. Do the board agree on that? Well, if they don't, then <laughs> the review's got to show that and say, well, you're unrealistic or you're realistic. But where are they really? I think this this might be a systems check, if you like, but is it not an audit on... I'm just, from the outside, looking fascinated about where St Kilda think they might be at, and, and a large portion of that goes to the list management decisions they've made. So, so where you're are asking, they? is the review going to review it for them and tell them, you believe you should be playing finals? I'm telling you, oh, yeah. in my review, you're, you're several positions off it, if you can describe it in that terminology. As Jared said, the pillars of the club are sorted, the coach is sorted, the CEO is sorted, the football manager. So that's all locked in. That's all been tied away already. I just wonder if it's not... We're not quite sure where we're at. We've made some bold decisions with an aim to achieve more than what we have done. So where are we? Do we need to go back to go forward? Do we need whatever we're going to paint it? Is it not an audit about finding out where you are first and then the decisions that you need to make off the back of that? So for me, that would look like everyone's in it to win the win a premiership. Okay? So we, we agree with that. But if St Kilda think that, this list is the list that is going to deliver a premiership. They're kidding themselves. So I know they'll do their best because if they think this list is the one that is going to get a premiership, with some of these players they've brought in, it has to happen within two to three years, given those players' age that they're playing top, paying top dollar to. It's not happening with them. And thereafter you're saying, well, we're here to be competitive. Is that what you really want? Or but do you I want think, to re- um, go into reverse first uh, to come forward and have a real shot. But the, but, but the discussion could be, it could be well, what we uh, did a couple of years ago in that trade period and brought in those four or five players, they might say it was an instant hit for a year or two, but it hasn't worked. What this is why we're reviewing it. Out of the four or five, three have worked and two haven't. Um, let's check right now, which is bold and brave. And I think that's why I applaud the review is to say, um, hey, listen, guys, we might have thought they were closer a year or so ago. We actually are not. We need to just go back to the draft for the next two two years. And if that means one or two of those players that we bought into the footy club or at our club hasn't exceeded where we wanted to get to, we need to trade out and think about, uh, no, nah, we've just got to take stock 
and build back up again. And in three years' time, we might have. Now, people have to bite their tongue in those sort of reviews because you don't always get it right. And we always think, oh, no, we are ahead or, no, this is where we're at. We're going to win a premiership by 2023 or 2024. I know there's always these bold statements, which is always dangerous. But I like the fact that they have an external person coming in to support the people that they already have there to make the decisions before you come to a very important trade draft period. The bounce back for DuraVeg, providing erosion control and environmental vegetation. So tomorrow afternoon, Carlton and Collingwood play at the MCG. So the Magpies lost their first game in three months. No damage done there against Sydney. Nope. But the Car- it's Carlton who are the deep fascination. So from a coaching perspective, Leon, when you lay it all out there and you get the, the heartbreak of a performance on one Saturday night, the prize is exactly the same on the next Sunday afternoon to finish off all the work that you've done. What's it, Can you put yourself in Michael Voss's shoes this week? Yeah, look, there's no doubt. And What they did last week was just an awesome brand of footy against a very, very good team, and we're discussing them this morning of what they did to Brisbane yesterday, last night. So if you stack that up, that's form stacked up. And I think Michael Voss would... Uh, wake up this morning going, our form is back on track and it stacks up. Um, it's stacking up. And so they will go in really, really confident going into the Collingwood game. Now, clearly we know football such a wonderful thing and that's why it keeps dragging us back there every weekend and why we talk about it so much is it's not always perfect and things can happen. And you've got a side like Collingwood that just happened to be an unbelievably young, spirited team that have proven a lot of people wrong this year. So that stage is set for the biggest game that we've seen at home and away for a long, long time, which is great. But Michael will be going, no, that form stacks up. And it was really good last week. They just made some crucial errors at the wrong time. We all know the result. And they should have walked away with that result. So that gives him great confidence. And he will be selling that all week. He'll be selling it in the captain's run today. He'll be selling it and saying, we are in form. We are... We are ready for the big stage. Yes, we've dropped away in a part uh, in the back half of the year in parts, but we're now coming back out. He, he gains a couple of fantastic players, I think, you know, if it's Hewitt and, and Williams and they come back into the team or whether that's been decided on. They've got a full squad. They're ready to go. And I think he'll sell an enormous pitcher throughout the week, top it off today in the captain's run. And I think you'll see Carlton come to the, the MCG tomorrow um, and walk away victors. This is amazing. They're, they're, they're at the line with each other. Um, for me, Collingwood's form, I actually thought the ground size dimensions really hurt Collingwood last week. I thought their form was incredible. Their, the way they played was fantastic against a red-hot team in real good nick on a ground that, that really suited them. I thought that form was awesome. Carlton much improved. I'd, I'd go with Leon on that, but they've still only won one out of the last five. And I would think that if Collingwood are able to get something rolling nice and early, which they haven't done even in the games they've won, they've come from behind, haven't they? Um, I wonder whether Carlton will say, well, this is our fate this year. It can be a little bit self-fulfilling if you think we've just given everything and we're running out of petrol right now. Some Sometimes the season just goes a little bit long for certain teams given their injuries, and Carlton have had a lot of them. I hope it is an awesome game. I'll be watching. But I just think the Magpies might get it done, not 
super easy, but comfortably. All right. Well, that's why we'll all be there tomorrow to find out. We're gearing up for all the action today for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go collection. Just pack, stack, and go. Next, we're revved up for the showdown. The award-winning Crunch Time. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley-Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. All of South Australia has had the rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley-Davidson. A showdown which still had a bit riding on it because the Crows can level up with Port and that would represent absolute bragging rights in the town. But then the Port Adelaide players seem to take matters into their own hands. And took none too subtle aim at their crosstown rival. Kane, you know yeah. more than anyone how much I hate them and we hate them as a footy club, and, it, and it's true. Uh, unacceptable to lose next week. There's certain things about that football club that, that I don't like. I think it's just the DNA of the club and, and what they're about and um, the sense of entitlement that they sort of have. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's some good people within the club, but as an organisation, they're um, entitled and arrogant. I think the rivalry is fantastic. I think there's a there's a line you draw. Port Power this time may have may have overstepped it. Disappointing. We're, we're here. We're talking about arrogant and entitled, and we've got a superstar of the game about to retire. We enjoy the dislike of the Crows. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, Terry. Hey, is this an orchestrated verbal assault by Port Adelaide? Because the language is very similar, particularly between Wines and Jonas. I don't think Ken Hinckley knew that this was where it was going. Right. I think he was a little bit. What are we doing? Well, then he'd be flabbergasted, I reckon, right about now. I love, I love the theatre of it. I reckon it's a little bit WWE, (laughs) isn't it? Of course you do. (laughs) Entitled and arrogant. You know what? When I was playing, we felt they were that way as well back then. <laughs> so, look, they've come out. It's sort of the, the vernacular you don't like to use openly, uh, but it is a deliberate this, yeah. jab at them. This isn't Ed Langdon style sort of taking the team meeting external. <laughs> this looks like it's a, they knew fully aware of what they were doing. What are they doing, Leon? <laughs> As I said, I was in Adelaide. I couldn't believe it. I didn't realise. Um, I know it's a wonderful um, rivalry, but uh, just Wednesday, Thursday, and then things kept on dripping through, and it was Wines and Jonas. And just the press conference yesterday, um, Kenny wouldn't sit with Matthew Nix. He said, well, he was 15 minutes late in the first encounter, so I didn't come to this one. So then they had separate press conferences because they normally sit beside each other. Um, no doubt that, that there'll be some clearly some theatre to it and, you know, they'll be trying to get 50,000 through the gates tonight mm. uh, in, a, in, a, in a game that clearly is the last one for the year. And to celebrate Robbie Gray, which is, you know, he's been a superstar of the yeah. game. But um, I think um, it's, it's, it's real. I, 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 it's absolutely real. They don't like each other. And, um, you know, I know we had a rivalry with the Swans and we didn't like each other on the field and it was got really spiteful as we got become better as a footy club. But off the field, there probably wasn't much of the uh, the banter that's going on now. So I think we're going to see one hell of a spiteful match tonight. I, I detect a trend and a welcome one too, Derm. Well, we're, getting, we're getting more of this. And on this side of the fence, we love it anyway, don't we? Because it's all great, great theatre. You, you, you go back. We take so much of 
our lead from American football, the way that they go about their business. We adopted the draft and we... I reckon we're 25 years behind in trash-talking, though. There was a bloke, Jim McMahon. He was the, the, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And I remember him in a, a press conference before one of the Super Bowls. He said, oh, yeah, we'll beat them. They're... they're um, their their line is trash and they can't defend us. They're, 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 they're slow and they're underperformed. He absolutely toasted them. You know what? They did. <laughs> they beat them. We're a little bit slow to the party in this, whether it's theatre, whether you can actually compartmentalise it and say, well, if they're not trying the best, regardless of what we're saying, what are they doing anyway? Perhaps it I'll... is something that's going to creep into our sport. I think... Um... Uh, to complete it tonight, to actually uh, round it out. I mean, clearly we want a great game of football, but wouldn't it be great to see Charlie Dixon run through the huddle <laughs> of the Crows like many, many years ago uh, we see one lunatic do that? Um, wouldn't that be good? I know. I thought this. One of <laughs> half a dozen things are going to come out of your mouth right then. <laughs> that was the last of the list. You're very good at this, Leon. Very good at this indeed. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. And for Swan supporters, it looks like the magic number is 54 points. All sorts of derivatives around the exact score. But when you're sitting down tomorrow afternoon, your platform is nine goals to be hosting the qualifying final against Melbourne. Otherwise, it'll be to the MCG. Mm. And the ground on which that's played might have a profound impact on who's going on to a preliminary final. So it's a great round in prospect and it's materialising before us. Sam, you're going to have a little dabble. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks very much, Jared. Josh Jeans is with us. Josh, how did we go last week? Uh, not only did we miss by one leg, Sammy, we missed by one point. Uh, we had Freo 25 plus. Unfortunately, the Dorkers couldn't do it over the Eagles, but uh, you know what? We digress and we continue. Okay, yeah, let's forget that and <laughs> pretend it never happened. Who else should we be following on the app? Uh, well, Tommy Sheridan, the former Dockers and Giant Star, he's been doing very well, a.k.a. Tommy's Tiffs on the Dabble app. Hit nine from nine last week. I was paying close to 16 bucks. Plus, the good news was a couple of dabblers copying that bet. So the community's had a win, which is great news. All right. No one has wanted eighth spot all year, Josh. (laughs) Uh, Who who finally accepts the invitation at the last time of asking? Well, if we're going by the market, it's saying the pies and the doggies, they're going to get up. And the blues, after celebrating early on in the season, they're going to miss that eighth spot. Can you believe it? (sighs) No, I can't. Right, what are we? What are we? What are we going for this week? What are we looking at? We're going the Dockers to get an easy win over GWS. The Suns they're going to get a bit of you know steam going forward to next season. They'll have a win. Tigers by over twenty five, and the power to get it done in the showdown. Uh, that's going to be great. That one's paying four eighty seven. What are you liking there? Well, I'm liking the spice in the showdown, to be honest with you. Port Adelaide couldn't have done much more to pump this one up, so I reckon there was a market <laughs> on who's going to go to Ollie Wines first. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. We'd have to check it out. But, of course, you can download the Dabble app and follow the Crunch Time AFL team. They're surely on for a winner this week. Copy their bets with one click. Go on, have a dabble. Dabble socially and gamble responsibly, Sammy.
Enjoying Crunch Time Banter, check out Dabble Banter Channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble, gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Leon Cameron, so much to look forward to as we get to the end of this home and away season. Thanks for being part of it today. Cheers, Jared, Derm and Sam. On Enjoy the Cheers, Leonardo. Tremendous insights on where things lie mm. in, in modern footy. Dermot, excellent. Thank you. I'm looking forward to two more debutants for the Hawks getting out there tomorrow. Don't go too well. Do your team. bit. Do your bit, Hawthorne. Do your bit. <laughs> right. Run it to one point. <laughs> Good luck to your Blues, Sam. Might need it, Jared. Thank uh, keep, you. Keep the phone closed because there's an awful lot happening in football right now. Sure this is. has been Crunch Time. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.